This is Levi Cooper coming to you from Pardes in Yerushalayim. In the recent negotiations for the release of our brothers and sisters who are being held captive in Gaza, the State of Israel demanded that the Red Cross would visit those people who are being held captive, check on their health, and bring them necessary medicines. Unfortunately, that did not happen. But I must admit that I thought it was ironic that we were asking for such a visit, considering that when the International Committee of the Red Cross has visited our people, it has not always been a positive experience. I'm sure many of you are aware that when the, the International Committee of the Red Cross visited the Theresienstadt concentration camp in June 1944, and then again in April 1945, they were unable to discern what was really going on. They saw what they wanted, or perhaps the Nazis wanted them to see, and that's what they reported. Looking back, we can now say that that was one of the great failures of the Red Cross. Of course, we understand why the State of Israel requested those visits, and I'm sure that you, like me, are very distraught that they have been unable to check on our brothers and sisters. But as I was pondering this situation, I asked myself, do we have a precedent in our tradition for visits to captives? In the previous episode, we discussed the tragic story of the Maharam Mirutenberg, who in, was taken captive by Rudolf in the year 1286. And when, pe- when the Jews wanted to pay the exorbitant ransom in order to secure the Maharam's release, the Maharam Mirutenberg ruled that they should not pay the ransom in order not to incentivize the capture and imprisonment of Jews and in particular senior rabbinic figures. And the Marami Rutenberg sat as a captive for seven years from 1286 until 1293 when he passed away in captivity. And even after he passed away, they continued holding on to his body until the year 1306, when he was buried in Vermeiser Wurms. But during those seven years, what do we know about the Maharam Mirutenberg's life in captivity? In one of his responder, the Maharam Mirutenberg writes that while he was in jail, he did not forget his creator, and he continued studying Torah. But in one place, in one of his writings, he writes that after three and a half years, he didn't have books with him, and he was particularly depressed, and he didn't understand why he was stuck there. And he says that he feels 
like an askufa hanidreset, a threshold of a door that everybody just steps on, a doormat. And this difficult passage that he felt that he was forgotten. And it's unclear whether he felt that he was forgotten by his by Jews or perhaps by God. It's difficult to read that uh, description today and to think about how we could communicate to our brothers and sisters in captivity that they are not some doormat, but that we are thinking and praying for their well-being. In another passage, the Maharami Rutenberg is a little bit more uh, positive when he says that even though he's in captivity, he still is able to pray, he feels God's presence, and he feels that he is able in the darkness of captivity to study Torah. And certainly we are praying that God does not leave and forsake our brothers and sisters who are in captivity in Gaza. From the questions of the Maharam's students, we learn that they were in touch with their teacher even while he was in captivity. In one case, one of his students wrote to the Maharam and with a certain question, and asked him, please explain, and whatever you write, whatever answer you give, that will be the accepted opinion. In another case, a student asked the Maharam, please tell me what your opinion is, with clear proofs. And I can only imagine how difficult that must have been to write down clear proofs, given that the Maharam Mirutenberg didn't have access to books like he normally would have. And that student concludes his question by sending a message to those people who were in who were who were keeping the Maharam Mirutenberg captive. He says, May the face of those who hate you may it turn to the burnt side of a pot and may Bad things find those people. So we know that the Maharam was in contact with his students. We know that they were able to visit him. We know also that the Maharam was able to keep Shabbos while he was in captivity. And in one place, there is a discussion of how he felt when a non-Jew added wood to the fire on Shabbat and how happy it was because it kept him warm. On the other hand, we don't know during those seven years how the Maharam celebrated the various festivals. I can only say that at, at this time we still don't have contact with our brothers and sisters in captivity. They cannot have their students or teachers visit them. I doubt they are in a position that they can write responsa in halacha or various other 
Torah novelly. And therefore, my dear friends, we continue to pray to God that the Almighty should guide us in securing their release speedily and in our day. That's all for now. Until the next time. To the beat me drush!